for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we're going to tackle what's going on in the NBA bubble and specifically what's happening with the quality of play that may be hitting these NBA ratings. Now, we did not have Warrior Basketball for a lot or competitive Warrior Basketball for a lot of this season, but our own Ethan Strauss is going to join us to talk about the impact maybe that's had on some ratings and what the future of the NBA holds for 2020 and 2021 if they are unable to play without fans in the arena. Could a lockout be at stake? Something we're going to talk about with our own Ethan Strauss next. It's Friday, August 21st. Pleasure to welcome in now Ethan Strauss. You can read him here on The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Ethan, it's great to talk to you. One of the best basketball minds out there, man. How are you, dude? I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm all, all that you said, but uh, you know, I thank you for the compliment. Well, I got to butter you up, man. You're going to come on my podcast. <laughs> got to make you feel good, dude. We got to keep you coming back. So we butter you up a little bit. We went so long without basketball. And it's so funny how, you know, society sort of tied itself to the sports world. And that when things got shut down for COVID-19, it was all kind of tied to when Rudy Gobert was the root of the source for shutting down the NBA. But now that they're in the bubble and tests have been negative and we're underway with the postseason, things appear to be moving pretty smoothly. What do you think? Yeah, I think the bubble has exceeded expectations on the health level, certainly, where just so fewer, far fewer infections than you might have expected, especially because when it was starting, if you remember, cases were spiking all over Florida and there was cause for concern. So in that way, I think it's been a huge success and the games have also been way better than I might have expected. You might have thought that these players would be completely out of shape. I'm surprised with the quality of play so far. It's been exciting. And definitely since we've gotten into the postseason, I think we've had a lot of really exciting moments, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want to talk about a piece you put out earlier this week titled Why the NBA Has Serious Viewership Problems That It Needs to Fix. We'd heard about this earlier in the season. I remember thinking, you know, back when the NBA got started for the actual beginning of the 2019-2020 season that the NBA was missing its villain in the Golden State Warriors. And while we love them here in the Bay Area, I think the rest of the league looks at it differently. But you sort of pointed out that this is a declining issue over a period of five or six years. Can you elaborate on what these ratings issues are that the NBA is facing? Yeah, since the last lockout in 2011-2012 that season, and it's funny because you would have expected that after a lockout, interest would drop precipitously, but instead, in a similar situation, I guess, to the bubble restart where you don't know when basketball is coming back, when it came back, people were really hungry for it and the ratings were quite good. The NBA is down 45% in terms of its overall viewership since that season, and it's been a slow decline with the most precipitous drop coming this recent season, where it's been about 17% decline on network TV and double digits everywhere else, and you see similar drop for cable, for TNT, a big one for ESPN. And it's all been coming at a time where we're being sold this narrative of perpetual ascendance that the NBA is the sport of the future. And it just doesn't seem like that's reflected in the appetite of the American public. And I see whenever I've brought this up, a lot of coping, a lot of dismissals, a lot of, but, but streaming, streaming, well, streaming is incorporated into Nielsen to a degree. And this large of a drop, I don't think can be dismissed as, oh, people are watching Grizzlies, Hawks on an illegal stream by millions and millions. I just think it is what it is. It's Occam's razor. People just aren't as into it as they were before. And once you establish the what, 
and I'm trying to establish the what, that this is what has happened. The why, that's something everybody has an opinion on. And that's where it gets interesting because we don't totally know. And in truth, big phenomenon, it's multi-factor. So you're probably dealing with a confluence of different factors that have got us here at a moment when I know people might ask, wait a second, what about the other leagues? NFL, MLB showed no drop off between that period of time and today. So it's a big question. There was a lot of questions and well, not questions. I think a lot of statements made by people who didn't agree with, you know, social justice movements being implemented into their sports, into basketball, into football. And I think since we're not to the NFL season yet, we haven't quite seen yet what the fallout, if any, will be there. Is it fair to point just for the the immediacy for right now, sort of at a, at a micro level, is it fair to point to any social justice issues or can we sort of write that off and say, because this is a steady decline, it's really got nothing to do with what's going on currently in the bubble. Well, the most precipitous drop happened after the NBA's China situation. That was in the preseason. And so I think some of the NBA stances on social justice issues probably puts off some people, but it wasn't necessarily front and center in their minds until China perhaps revealed the hypocrisy of it, because that's when the NBA gets in the news for normal people. It's China. It was that international incident with Daryl Morey. And then you're talking about its other stances. And a lot of people who aren't necessarily completely tuned in, they do, I think, sense a hypocrisy. So in that way, I think it hurt them on the moral authority level. And it also brought into stark relief some of their other positions that might not be so popular. And it's funny. I think that there are a lot of people in my industry because the NBA evinces a politics that they agree with, they almost can't imagine that other people are different. And this is a big country, right? This is a country with a lot of people who don't accept the moral premises that undergird a lot of what the NBA is saying and are repelled by it. And maybe even wouldn't be repelled if it was just at a certain level. But once you kick the volume up to 11, then it's a different story. To me, it's obvious. To me, it's no duh. No duh that's happening. No duh a lot of people don't like it. No duh a lot of people are turned off by it. And that, by the way, probably even includes people who agree with the messaging but aren't necessarily signing on for the messaging as part of their product. I mean, I think my mom mentioned to me recently that she's really big about climate change, but if she was reading one of her uh, mystery novels that she likes, and that was this big topic in there, she might feel, okay, this is kind of weird, you know, and it's a silent vote, right? People turn off the, the TV or they change the channel, they're not necessarily announcing why, and they might not even be proud of the reason for why, but that just seems to be reflected as one of the many trends, you know, added to the pile of load management, not having the Warriors around, players moving around, having to be confusing to the fans because they don't know who's on what team. Add it to the many, uh, many factors and variables that have gotten the NBA here. In your article, you sort of talk about the future of what could happen too. Like you kind of pull back and go big picture on what the moves or parameters could be for the NBA for the 2020-2021 season. Now the NFL is going to get going. They're not going to play in a bubble. And that may be a good template for how the NBA looks at moving in to the next season. Could they play games with a, a limited number of fans in attendance? Or are they going to have to do the entire season, at least start the season in a bubble, which would hurt them revenue-wise tremendously? You talk about getting a new TV deal done which could sort of be an injection of cash into something the league needs. But you mentioned a few minutes ago the decline after the China incident and the hope that after the last lockout, people were going to come back in droves. Is there any fear that because of the lack of knowledge we have about what the finances could be for the league in the next season that we could be seeing another lockout in the winter? 
Oh, yeah. After I wrote the article, a few players reached out to me and asked about that specifically. They asked, do you think the owners are going to lock out? I don't know, but I think that's on the table. I think that you've got a group of people who are not making the money on their investment that they thought they were and can also use the crisis as a pretext to maybe something they also wanted to do anyway. And so, yeah, it could get ugly. It could be bad. But I don't think that is off the table at all. I don't know if there has been any momentum in that direction, but it's going to be an interesting situation. If the NBA cannot get gate revenue next season or they have to spend so much to get it, I mean, they spent $170 million to make the bubble happen. So Silver is saying they're not even making money off the bubble. I think that's going to put a lot of people with a stake in the NBA into a position where they want to recoup some of their money. So for the the bubble and how, how, as far as that's concerned, with the actual play that's going on within the bubble, I think this is an opportunity, if, if they're struggling for revenue or income when they get to the next season, looking at what they did with the bubble and getting creative with how they scheduled these sort of play-in tournament, these seeding games, they called them. And I think everybody who's a basketball fan that watched last weekend enjoyed watching the matchup between Memphis and Portland, watching what Portland did down the stretch. It was sort of funny to see the Suns go 8-0 and not even get a bid into the postseason, but I think this is an opportunity for for the NBA to say, look, we've toyed with things differently because of COVID-19. Why don't we do something like that to try to get fans back, do an in-season tournament like they've talked about and, and sort of change what the makeup or maybe even what the competitive balance in the NBA is? You know, I completely agree. Necessity is the mother of invention. I thought the Elam ending idea that they instituted in the All-Star it. game. When they announced that, I thought, ah, this is pretty goofy. But then I saw it. It was incredible. It was incredible. And it just showed you that there are a lot of things that we just say, hey, this is the way you do things and we're used to them, but they're not necessarily the best way to do things. And I know that Silver is of a mindset of trying and experimentation. He looks to soccer a lot. Maybe that's not the best lodestar, but there are people who are influential within the NBA who do want to try things. What they're going to try, how it's going to work out, I can't predict it, but they should. They need to shake things up, I think. I mean, they need to change their story currently because a lot of America, despite the great play that you're mentioning, is tuning out. That's just a fact. Before we let you go, I want to just hit on some of the stuff that's going on in the bubble with the players, with the actual gameplay that's happening. Damian Lillard has kind of caught the country by storm, and here in the Bay Area, you love to love Dame Lillard because of his ties to Oakland and his, his unwavering love for the East Bay, and he constantly puts them on a national stage, but we're starting to get this conversation creep up again. I got a buddy who always says, recency bias is a disease, and it's extremely contagious, and now you've got people stepping up and saying, Damian Lillard, better than Steph Curry? Where do you come down on this argument or debate? I mean, He's just not. I, I think that there's a little misunderstanding of the things that are the most underrated that matter in the NBA, wing defense and off-ball offense. And I guess it's because you can't quite see it. And look, I don't want to denigrate Lillard at all because he's fantastic and he's just cool. He's just cool, dude. I mean, that guy is cool. <laughs> like, I'm not the arbiter yeah, of cool. he is. He is. But even, even <laughs> I can see it. That dude is fantastic for the league, and he's a great player. But the thing that separates Steph from him, and there's been a lot of focus on, well, Dame shoots even farther back. It's what Steph does off the ball. It's that Steph is Steve Nash on the ball, Reggie Miller off the ball. Lillard is not that. The intense extreme stress, the reason why Steph is just the plus-minus god of our era it's 24 seconds of pressure on the defense. You know, when Dame drives and kicks, Dame's possession is pretty much over for him. Like, that's kind of it for him. Steph, the entire time, they have to track him as he's relocating and running through screens off the ball. 
there is no moment to even take a breath. That is what makes Steph Curry great in totality, and I think that it is very much taken for granted because, again, we don't really pay attention to whatever's going on off the ball. So, hey, you could say it's because I'm in the Bay Area. You could say anything. I think I'm trying to be as objective about it as I can. I think Steph Curry is better than Lillard. Yeah, when you start comparing, it seems like almost you're taking away from one guy, and I don't think that's that's what anybody, that's not what we intend to do. I think we want to want to give credit to both. We appreciate the time, Ethan. It's it's fun talking to you, man. It's it's fun reading you, especially, and, and we'll keep checking you out at Sherwood Strauss on Twitter. We'll give you a follow. And uh, I said you at the beginning, one of the the best basketball minds. Should I pull <laughs> off of that? Should I say one of the one of the okay basketball minds, Ethan Strauss? <laughs> it really depends on how you think I did. You know, you can reevaluate. I am open to that, and I'm open to your your grading on whatever rubric but i'll tell you this much i will try to validate what you said i will try my best to validate what you said going forward you're definitely doing a good job man we appreciate the time today ethan we'll catch you later maybe around draft time we'll talk to you again okay anytime thanks man one of the good basketball guys, Ethan Strauss, always fun conversation, fun picking his brain. He's here in the Bay Area and in the East Bay, too, so he may be a little biased about Steph Curry, but I'm with him. I try to be neutral. Uh, the recency bias stuff with Dame is not intended to take anything away from Steph Curry. For full coverage of sports in the Bay Area, subscribe to the update on Google Podcasts. The Athletic is the world's fastest-growing sports media publication. Get in-depth sports stories you won't find anywhere else. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting theathletic.com slash Google. We appreciate you listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the Athletic app, wherever it is. Just make sure you uh, you tell your friends and, and drop us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. We've got a lot of fun shows lined up for you next week. On Monday, we're going to talk to Bob Kendrick. He's the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, the Negro Leagues celebrating their centennial anniversary, the 100-year anniversary of the Negro Leagues, and baseball is going to celebrate Jackie Robinson Day next Next week. So we'll talk to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, on Monday. Special thanks to Brian Smith, our producer. Thanks to Ethan Strauss. And thanks to you, the listener. We do appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. Hope you enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you guys on Monday.